everyone and welcome back to A Culture Story. Today, my guest is Marilyn. In this episode, there are several things coming up for me, and I'm left with many questions. One thing that's coming up for me is the fact that we don't live our lives according to one dimension. Zooming out at the macro level, it can be looked at from the intersection of politics, economies, and culture or cultures. It's the material life and the symbolic life. What's coming up for me is also the relationship between identity and globalization and the forced synergies of change and continuity. There are productive tensions between the micro, i.e. everyday life, and the macro, i.e. that we live in a context or structures and systems. And these tensions are dialectical, meaning one cannot exist without the other. Every day, we are confronted with the tension between structure and agency, equality and inequality, virtual and real, dislodged and rooted. What comes up for me in this episode is how we contextualize the drivers of a story. What actors are in the story and how do we name them? For example, why do we refer to some globally mobile people as migrants and others as expats? What are achieved identities? What are ascribed identities? Who has the power or privilege? And how do we know? As you listen to this episode, consider how you embed stories into the broader contexts of culture, politics, and economies. Listen in. Marilyn, thank you for being on this episode today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Megan. So nice to be here. Marilyn, to begin, what would you like listeners to know about you? Uh, I am a third culture kid, grew up in the country of Pakistan, and then raised my own third culture kids, first in Pakistan, then in Egypt, and then in the United States. Uh, I'm also a public health nurse, and I now live in the Boston area. So also, oh, I write. I write. I love writing. It's hard to call yourself a writer, but I am a writer. Yeah. Yes. Yes. A brilliant writer and author, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I will put the books in the show notes that you've written. Um, Marilyn and I have so many beautiful intersecting journey points from first meeting in the Netherlands at a conference a handful of years ago to my staying in her cozy home in Massachusetts last year. Marilyn is one of the most steadfast and gracious, humble, engaging, and wise human beings I know. Thank you so much. That is, uh, thank you. Marilyn, what story would you like to share with us today? The story I want to share with you today is a story that I call This Is My Fate, and it actually happened a long time ago. Uh, my husband and I were living in Islamabad, Pakistan. Islamabad is the capital city in Pakistan, and we had two small children. My husband was working for a USAID contracted site. Now, I had grown up in Pakistan. But I had not, I had only lived as an adult for a short time single. So this experience being back in Pakistan, living and working as an adult was very different from being a child and growing up. You know, when you're a child, you're a child. There's, there are allowances given for a child 
that are not necessarily given for an adult. So we were living in Islamabad, Pakistan, and I had a woman who helped me with housework. Uh, I'm sure many of your listeners know that that is not at all uncommon in the developing world. So Rebet was uh, a woman who helped me with the housework. She had come to work for me by way of her husband who had done some handiwork around the house. Remit had five children. She lived in a slum outside the city and she was not, she was illiterate. She had never had the opportunity to go to school. Uh, she was bright and beautiful and dynamic. And we had developed a friendship that went way beyond employer employee. We drank tea together every morning. We laughed together. We mated socks together. Uh, we had developed a really lovely friendship. I got back from the bazaar one day. I had gone to pick up some things at the bazaar and Remit was there. And as soon as I walked in, uh, she came up to me and she said, oh, I, I need to show you something. And she showed me this whole basket of clothes that she had bleached. They didn't take bleach. So this entire basket of colorful clothes was, was ruined. And I just lost it. I ripped into her. How could you be so stupid? How could you do this? This was, you know, this is inexcusable. And she just stood there taking it, taking this just onslaught of verbal abuse. And one thing about my language skills in both Urdu and Arabic, when I'm angry, they are amazing. When I'm not angry, they're not. I'm not that articulate when I'm not angry, but suddenly, you know, this rush of adrenaline and makes me very articulate. And suddenly, as I'm looking at these big brown eyes staring back at me, I, I just stopped because I saw this look on her face. And she had this look of betrayal and hurt like I'd never seen. She looked like she'd been kissed by a Judas. She just had this look of resignation and betrayal all over her face. And I suddenly thought, what am I, what am I doing? I mean, it's, it's just clothes. It's, it's not a human being. It's nothing happened to the kids. It's what am I doing here? This is, this is so foolish. So I begin to apologize, but instead of being articulate the way I was with my anger, I'm stumbling over my words. I'm stumbling over my grammar and Remit just holds my gaze steady with these big brown eyes. And suddenly she stopped me and she said, she just kind of shrugged, put up her hands and said, this is my fate. And she could have said anything, anything but that. And it was like she had put this knife into me. It was like, this is my fate. And in that moment, I thought, this is her fate. She didn't have the freedom to quit this job. She needed this job. She was a minority as a woman. She was a minority religiously. She was 
poor. She lived in a slum. This was her fate. Her fate was basically to take whatever someone she worked with said, any abuse, any words that were mean, unkind, and just take them and, and move on with life. And in that moment, my, my privilege and my upbringing and, and all that I just, you know, just had not, not, I didn't even think about this on a regular basis, just flooded over me with those th four words, this is my fate, in order to do its yay meri kismetat. It's just this, this sense, uh, the strength of those words. Remnant and I were able to repair the relationship largely because of her generosity of spirit. In the bucket of her life experiences, this was a drop. This was a drop. And so we repaired that. But that was one of my first deep intersections with this, uh, this phrase or uh, idea that I call cultural humility. It was this recognition that I had gone in there as this proud Western woman that had, I held all the cards in the relationship, all the cards. And I was so confronted by privilege, by the arrogance with which I had faced the entire situation, the entire situation. It was just clothes. I forgot very quickly what those clothes looked like, but through all these years, I will never forget the look on Remit's face. And in subsequent years, as I've had other interactions where I've recognized my own uh, tendency towards superiority, I've seen those eyes and I've heard that voice. And I've grown in my understanding of, of cultural humility because cultural humility puts yourself in a place of learning. It puts yourself not as an expert of a culture, but as a student of a culture. So that is the story that I share with you today. Wow, thank you, Marilyn. That is a deep story, um, very vulnerable and honest. So thank you for, for sharing that. Um, it brings a lot about power and privilege, a lot about also growing up as an adult, um, I think. When you mentioned this was the first time going abroad as um, a young mother, as, as a wife, and navigating those dynamics in the home as well. And thank you for kind of unpacking that a little bit. And thank you for letting me. Why did you choose this story? I think uh, I, I chose it for this reminder to me of of privilege and of the need for cultural humility in this journey, in this cross-cultural journey, wherever we go, wherever I go. And that has in subsequent years served me really well in the healthcare field. I use this 
phrase a lot because Western medicine has its own culture and cultural values. And one of the things that we as healthcare providers are tasked with is putting aside that rigid culture and entering into a relationship with people from many different backgrounds and ethnicities in the healthcare sphere, entering into that relationship with humility, saying, you help me understand what is going on with you. You teach me. I have my expertise in disease and disease process, but I don't with you as my patient. How can you help me understand? It gives, it takes uh, you away from being the expert and puts you in a place of asking. Yes, I um, was introduced to cultural humility when I was in some training for being an educator and found out that cultural humility as a, as a concept, as a way to approach the classroom is mm -hmm. to find out where are your students coming from? And I've been an educator at, in high schools and university settings. And so it is those initial days where you find out their story, you find out where they're coming from, what country, what their background is. is. And so you can, you can build the schema of the whole classroom and it is it is asking questions and it's having the students ask each other questions as well um, it's it's um, a philosophy it's a concept it's a it's an approach that I take in in my own work and so I love that you do it in the healthcare sector this is new for me to hear how you do it um, when you're training healthcare professionals and is it a new concept for in your workshops is it new for adults well, that's a great question uh, Megan it was actually coined a while ago by two surgeons and when you think of surgeons you know surgeons are they are pretty, uh, they are, they are heavy handed. They have to be, they are more like generals in terms of their approach because they have, they are cutting into your body. They have life and death right there in the operating room. So that makes it even more powerful to me that they are saying to me as a nurse, look, move into this arena with humility. And uh, I love your description of this in education because it's very much like that in the healthcare field. And I can imagine that your outcomes in education really can be affected by this. Same with us in healthcare, our outcomes matter. And if you enter into it with humility, you get the whole story instead of a fraction of the story. Cultural humility demands lifelong learning, right? It demands a, a self-awareness. It demands self-critique. It's not easy. It's much easier to use the word cultural competency because that says to me, oh, I can achieve something, something like this. But cultural humility puts you on your knees, as I already said this, but as a learner. So I love hearing how this intersects with education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. And I mean, I've worked with adult, adult students and, and young adult students, and it's, um, it's so fascinating with the kind of aha moments where you see uh, 
them hearing each other for the first time. Like, I remember this, this one discussion we had, what is the concept of beauty? And I had students from Saudi Arabia and I had students from Brazil and from Taiwan and from China and from Canada. And it's uh, this wonderful idea of what are the external um, markers of beauty. And we even talked about um, head coverings and our students from Saudi Arabia were able to explain the purpose um, in, in, the, in their culture. And I thought that was a wonderful, um, just presentation of of understanding values and understanding uh, principles of different cultures and what's important. So I'm curious, is there an aha moment in one of your workshops that sticks out? Oh, what? Wow. You know, we just had one the other day. What I love is when people sort of grasp this and it's this recognition of connection or collision. You can either connect or collide. And putting yourself into a place of, of humility, of learning, of saying, I'm gonna learn from you here, you tell me, that puts you in a place of where you are moving toward connection rather than collision. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean that, the, the sort of one aha moment is a bit hard because uh, there's so many, there's so many points of, oh, okay, I get that here. I get that. I'll tell you one of the aha moments is around self-awareness, right? Because uh, with so many of the students that I teach, they would say that the absolute first step with developing cultural competency, culturally responsive care, cultural humility is to learn about the person, about the patient, but actually it's to better know ourselves, right? Because if we don't know ourselves, how can we move forward? So just yesterday, this woman from Arkansas said, I said, well, why did I have you do this exercise? I have them do a cultural passport exercise where they have to pick three words or phrases to describe their culture. And then one or two things that they want a healthcare provider to know about their culture in order to give them the best care possible. So we had this dynamic discussion. And then I said to them, why did I have you do it? And there was silence, complete silence. And finally, Anna, this woman from Arkansas, spoke, speaks up and she said, because if we don't know ourselves, then we're not in a place to move forward in understanding others. And it was like, bam, bam. It was, it was very, very cool. Oh, I love that. And thank you for doing that really important work, especially in, in this day and age. I think it's key. And Marilyn, what else are you um, learning? What are you reading? What's, what else is happening in your story right now that you would like to share? Well, I think that one of the big things is that it's taken me so long to be comfortable in the US, so long. Way too long, I, I would say. I, I look at, you know, younger third culture kids who are entering adulthood and I think, oh, please don't be like me. It's just taken me so long. And so 
there's been a lot of wasted time, right? Instead of seeing what's right in front of me, I've looked for something far away, you know, overseas. That's where it is. That's where I become my true self. So a huge part of my journey has been settling into, it's okay. Yes, there will always be that longing, right? We're shaped by those sights and sounds from our earliest memories. And for me, those all began far, far away in, in, in Pakistan. You know, those all began in a place so different. It was the call to prayer. It was not church bells. You know, the call to prayer was my alarm clock. Curry was my food. And my aunties were brown-skinned Pakistani women. And that is not my current reality. So a big part of my journey right now is every day saying, okay, that's okay. I'm I'm here. What is there here? What is there to do here? How can I enter into my story here? Knowing that that doesn't negate what came before. Rather, it's using those best of skills that we as third culture kids have. So for me, it's entering into my journey right here where I am and being okay with that. In Boston, as a public health nurse, writing my story, expressing through words this journey and entering into now with, uh, with confidence and peace. I think peace is, is probably the big word. Yes, um, I'm over here nodding my head <laughs> up and down furiously because it resonates a lot and it can it's convicting. It really is. Um, sometimes it is looking at, oh, I will be happier over there or I'm yes. searching, but um, cultivating that where you are, that's convicting. I, I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> I hope I remember this later today. <laughs> that's how slow I am. <laughs> Repetition, right? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Marilyn, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. And I conclude each episode with some rapid fire open-ended prompts. So I'd love for you to fill in the blanks. Are you ready? Okay, I am. Culture is? Complex. One thing everyone should pack in their suitcase is? All their gold. <laughs> I grew up in Pakistan. You took all your gold. Someone might rob you while you're away. You got to take your gold. Yes. And I commented on your beautiful earrings. So make sure to pack those up <laughs> next okay. time you go. Uh, one of my favorite books or movies is? Uh, the Spirit Catches You When You Fall Down. From a healthcare context, you just can't get a better picture of culturally responsive care and the poor outcomes that result if you don't offer culturally responsive care and cultural humility. Mm -hmm. Yes. Home is? The where you unpack your suitcase and hang your heart. Love it. Story is? Necessary, life-giving, dynamic, never-ending. I couldn't pick one word, Megan. That's fine. I love those words. Very descriptive. And I appreciate that you, you write your stories and you share them. So thank you again. 
Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be on this. In listening back to this episode, I'm still left with the meta questions. What form of knowledge is being privileged in your community, work, and family? Who or what is being silenced? Who or what has power? How do you know? How do we receive others? Power is control and choice. And what comes up for me in this episode is that there is power in proximity and having a commitment to proximity and to include those who have been excluded, it increases our capacity to change the world. Not only this, but having a commitment to listen to stories and to believe that they matter empowers and humanizes. Stories have the power to repair broken dignity. So let's continue to resist the flattening of stories by giving space and permission to dimensionalize them. And I leave you with a quote from one of Marilyn's books called Worlds Apart. She quotes Tulsiani. Life is similar to a bus ride. The journey begins when we board the bus. We meet people along our way, of which some are strangers, some friends, and some strangers yet to be friends. There are stops at intervals and people board in. At times, some of these people make their presence felt, leave an impact through their grace and beauty on us fellow passengers, while on other occasions, they remain indifferent. Let's commit to integrating cultural humility on our lifelong journey. Cultural humility is the ability to maintain an interpersonal stance that is other-oriented or open to the other in relation to aspects of cultural identity that are most important to the person. Thank you for listening to A Culture Story today. Mm -hmm.